Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. I'd like to introduce you to our guest for today, young freelance writer, researcher, and aspirant economist. Welcome, Sindile Babaza. Thank yeah, you for Sindile. having me, sir. Oh, hi, Sindile. Good to have you. Oh, oh um, thank you. I'm, I'm picking up from some of your articles because I, I want to make give note to the listeners that you are, in, in fact, uh, a columnist of ours. Uh, you write once a month for The Daily Friend, which is the opinion portal of the IRR. And I yes. think you've been doing it for over a year now. I've, I've, I've kind of lost track. You've, you've become part yes, of the yes, furniture. Right? Yes. Come on, I was looking at one thing, and I'm looking at uh, the issue of land. And we've we've just come through the failure by Parliament to approve the amendment to the Constitution, which would make, provide for uh, null compensation for uh, in, in the event of expropriation. Um, yes. I don't think, and I think you don't think, and please elaborate, that this is by any means the end of the uh, land reform issue. Uh, no, um, I think a lot of the conversation around uh, land in this country is uh, quite misguided. I think the government uses land as sort of a proxy for a lot of their own failures. So they speak of land in the language of land is something that will restore dignity to people. Land is something because so, what I notice about South African politics is everything is kind of a, a zero sum game. We have to get our land back from the white people, our economy. We have to muscle and space and transform. So white people have to get out and and, and make space. So there's always a zero-sum game in South Africa to all of this. And the actual fact is this, is that land is a very important issue because land is a finite resource. Mm. But the way in which government is looking at land is very misguided. And it's often, um, it's it's the land conversation is often directed towards a sort of an agrarian view of land mm will be farmers, food security. And the truth is, if you read people who actually know something about farming and land, like the uh, agricultural economist Wandile Sikhlob, mm. you'll know that most farms don't even struggle to make a million rand a year. Like farming is very difficult. It's capital intensive. You're not always sure of your yield. It's in the middle of nowhere, which is why you often find farmers are a certain type of person. Mm. It's why you found like when a couple of years back when Afroforum had to come into parliament for farmers. And Mm. the truth is that South Africans are moving towards um, urban areas more. The National Development Plan pegged it at 70% of people. South Africa will be 70% urbanized by 2030. So the importance of land is fundamentally rooted in cities. Mm. That's the first reason. But also mm. the second reason why land is important, and it, and it goes towards something called land use policy. Land is important because where people live is dictated by land. Mm. And what we know about uh, wealth in the world is that the majority of people in the world, especially working class and middle class people, their houses are their primary form of wealth building mm-hmm. and how they pass on wealth to their children. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, land is important. But here's the rub as well, Sarah. Because people are moving to major cities like Johannesburg mm-hmm. and Cape Town, especially in Durban, the problem is that people are moving away from their ancestral homelands mm-hmm. 
because there's no economic opportunity. So land cannot be divorced from a broader community because one of the things you will see, uh, because my uh, ancestral homeland's in the Eastern Cape, my family mm-hmm. home is in Antarctica. And if you drive through the Eastern Cape, what you will often see is vast tracts of land just mm-hmm. sitting there with nobody there doing anything. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, if you really ask honest questions about the land debate, you will ask, why do people leave these vast tracts of land in the Eastern Cape if land is so dignity-giving and wealth-building? Why do they leave and go to cramped quarters in big mm. cities? Mm. And and there's a couple of truths that can be drawn from that. One, land only has value if it has speculative value or you have the capital to make it productive. Mm-hmm. Two, most people don't want to farm and live in rural mm. areas. That's just a fact. If you ask most people in the rural areas, they'll tell you, and I'll say it in positive, they'll say, uh, they'll say, I want my child to be a lawyer or a doctor because mm. Often the way that black people interact is that if I go to the rural areas or my sister or anybody else, they'll see people coming in cars and they have like different clothes, new clothes, and they'll see that and go, oh, what does he do? What does she Mm. do? Mm. Oh, they work in the cities and do X, Y, Z. So if you really ask people, if you ask black people who will benefit, firstly, they take cash, uh, the, the IRR. Uh, I think it was a couple of years back, pegged it about 90% of claimants take cash. Mm. And also what you will see is that the priority is more to do with, I want my children to do better than me. Mm. And I want my children to get educated and make money. And Mm. I can attest to this personally because back, I think it was in the Mm forties, my grandfather and we, we, our family is kind of, part of the royal paradigm in the Eastern Cape. My family has a line of chieftains. My grandfather um, sort of, I, I don't know, is it the correct English word? He absconded from the throne. Mm-hmm. And it was a big, yes, it was a big, big issue, big, big family thing. But his reasoning was, listen, I want to go, this is in the 40s, which you can mm-hmm. see how progressive I want my children and my grandchildren to have a better life, to be educated. I want to go out there and pioneer in the city. And he did, because mm. I have a picture of him in 1957, Cape Law Society, sitting with a whole bunch of white lawyers. And the reason why, if you move around South Africa and you meet somebody with the surname Fabaza, you'll mm. often find that they are educated and middle class and up. Mm, mm, and that's mm. because one man decided, listen, there is a future and in the future you must pioneer. It's the whole thing. If, because we're, we're on this radio station, it's the whole thing with the promise with Abraham. Mm. You go mm. forward. People are always exploring, looking for better, the land of milk and honey. It's a very mm. human thing. And so if you ask people in the rural areas, it's a very human impulse and human instinct to want to go somewhere better. And mm. right now the, the land of milk and honey is cities mm. and that's the land debate should be focused mm-hmm. rather than what government is doing and, and, and saying all of these things. Mm-hmm. But also the second part of it is that the government is trying to cover up for their failures. So there was a study in 2017 that found that to get into the top 10% of wealth in South Africa, uh, you need about 496,000 rand in net worth, mm-hmm. which in, in reality doesn't sound like a lot, but here's the mm-hmm. rub. Another study also found that because the, 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 the title deeds office is in such a mess, 
about half of people who should be getting title deeds are not getting them. And they found that when people try to sell their houses, those who sold on the formal market and had their title deeds sold them from a, for an average of 400,000 rand. Mm-hmm. Those who didn't and sold on the informal market sold for 70,000 rand. So people <laughs> okay. who are working class and who could be middle class are losing about 330,000 rand on average in wealth value simply because government is not doing their job and they're covering for that. And mm-hmm. sometimes people are not, how do I phrase this? People are not getting the access to the wealth building tool that your property can provide you mm-hmm. as collateral. And, and that has effects mm-hmm. as well. So, so government is really trying to cover their tracks and give this very emotive mm. sort of zero sum game to the land issue. Mm. Yes, land is an important issue because as much as people want to debate it, um, there has been cumulative effects and it started mm. way back in the apartheid government and it's carried on with the ANC government. Someone mm. once said to me, we first tried the Nazism of the apartheid government mm. and now we're living with the communism of the ANC government. We've never actually tried freedom in this country. And I thought, mm. you know, that's actually true. Mm. We've never tried freedom. We've never tried a system in which there's very, very strong property mm. rights, that people are free, that people have access to finance to build themselves and get into that sort of 10%, if you will. Um, so I think... There are all those issues circling around that, and I think people need to be aware of that, Mm. need to be smart about it, because I think what will happen inevitably in this country as pressure comes down is that politicians are going to see an opportunity, just as they do with restaurants, just as they do with other issues, an issue where you inflame people, you give people this zero-sum game where Mm. everybody kind of gets angry and anxious, but in reality... Yes, it's a, it's an important issue, but if we look at the economy for what it is, and the economy is not a zero-sum game, and land is not a zero-sum game, what we are trying to do in this country, in the bigger picture, is that we are trying to get South Africa to become a safe and a sane and a developed nation. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, because land is critical to that, you can't avoid, and in this sense, this is where I kind of make the distinction because people don't often understand. You have to use racialized language because it's a demographic thing. The majority of people in this country are black. This country doesn't work if black people are not upwardly mobile. That's just That's right. obvious if you understand just the basic demographics of this country. Yes, you use racialized language. But with the understanding that you're not, it's not a zero sum game. Mm. You're not taking from anybody. You're essentially saying, let's grow. Let's be more inclusive and let's get everybody to be able to benefit and eat. Those who are willing, those who are willing to work, those who are willing to have drive, those who are willing to chase after opportunities. And that, and that, and the, and the land conversation has to be kind of seen within that context and paradigm. Mm-hmm. I think one of the, you, you point very clearly to, I think, the, one of the problems here, and is, is that being a, a socialist government, aiming to be a communist government, it's, it's um, attitudes towards land are, are, shall we say, romantic, um, yes. and are rooted in societies that existed 60, 70 years ago. 
we're not an unusual phenomenon. I mean, countries all over the world, the trend is to urbanization and for farming and the provision of food to be in the hands of uh, large, large uh, uh, farmers who can farm big or companies, corporations, and that to to sort of to, to sort of look to land as you say as a sort of rural phenomenon, as it's it's rather paternalistic. Can I can I then raise the issue of land reform because, as I okay. recall, when when Cyril Ramaphosa sort of launched the the post. Um, elective conference 2017, you know, once the, the, the decision had been taken um, to go for expropriation, a lot of the sort of selling of it landed on land reform, that somehow this would increase our ability to to provide the reform, the historical reform that was needed. And the comments from myself and my colleagues were simply, well, you know, land reform as it's been done um, has has resolved a fair amount, but a lot of it is just about incompetence. It hasn't. It's about not doing it properly, not getting, yeah. having the processes properly done. It's not about make, being able to take land for nothing. That, that's that's not really what it's about. But that's how they were selling it. Mm. Am I wrong? Is land reform a big issue? Really going to be resolved by by uh, EWC? No. I think you have to go back to kind of a first principles view. And I, I'm i not particularly sure how you can sort of ethically justify. And I know mm. people who are sort of supportive of EWC will say, well, it's nuanced. But from a basic perspective, I'm not sure how ethical it is to take someone's land who's paid for it. Because mm. ultimately, uh, the dispossession of land was was done by the state. Mm. So the state has to be the one because the ANC is a continuation of the apartheid mm. state in mm. so many ways, actually. Um, uh, <laughs> well, then it should be. In a lot of ways. Um, mm. Just not to be misunderstood. I'm not saying they're apartheid, but they are a continuation. So I, I don't know how you do that ethically. Mm. But I, uh, secondly, there's the practical side of it. I don't know how you... Um, from an economic perspective, can justify weakening property rights because we know mm. that property rights are central uh, to your functioning economy and a functioning order and law and order. Mm. Um, but also practically, why would anyone invest in their land exactly. if they don't have secure tenure and rights? So, and that would, so, that would apply to new investors, external investors as well. That would be yes. that is a prime concern is, is, is security of property rights. Yes. So I, I think there's all of those issues bunched in together. And it, it's, it's, it's strange to me personally, coming, knowing my history from my grandfather to my father to now where we are, it's, it's, it's very strange to me how people are so connected to this idea as if it's a kind of panacea. Mm. Because I think we know what gets people you know, to a place where they are included in the economy, um, they are healthier, et cetera, et cetera. Because I, I want to touch on this point as well. Mm -hmm. There's also this weird conversation going on that it will, EWC will bolster food security, mm -hmm. which is ridiculous okay. because here's my contention. I know this for a fact is that South, the, the biggest problem in South Africa is food wastage mm -hmm. at every stage of the 
supply chain, all the way from when it comes to the farms, to the storage, to the supermarkets, to people in their homes. The fact is South Africa actually produces enough food for everyone to eat. The fact is, is that there's a lot of efficiencies, inefficiencies, sorry, around land and around the production of food. So it's a very weird argument as well. You'll also see that. And I think people need to be able to say, no, listen, that's not true. Mm-hmm. The fact is, is that what we are doing now is working. What you can argue, I think, and this is a valid argument, is to say, well, South Africa is changing strategy and changing tech. Since Zimbabwe no longer wants to be Africa's food basket, mm-hmm. let's be Africa's food basket. And in that paradigm, because nothing is a zero-sum game, let's include emerging farmers of color. Mm-hmm. That is a good argument because you're you're not taking from anyone. You're saying let's expand the whole thing and let's make South Africa wealthier by becoming mm-hmm. the food basket because more and more people um, in Africa, in sub-Saharan Africa, are getting into the middle class. There's more mm-hmm. demand mm-hmm. for And we can be the sorts of people who provide that. And the offshoot of that could become that South Africa has more soft power, more geopolitical and diplomatic power to actually influence good policy on the rest of the continent. So I think Mm. there's an argument there for that. But ultimately, what's happening now in terms of the production of food and food security, we are in essence actually food secure. We're just very wasteful. So that argument falls away. That argument. So that argument falls away then. That argument with uh, dignity falls away. That argument that people want land, that falls away. People mm-hmm. want to go to cities and want to be able to build their lives in cities. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to be able to say that and break apart what they're saying. IFM mm-hmm. 101.9 megahertz of life. My impression is one of the problems with the this romantic old-fashioned idea is the is this really it may have been coming from people who may have seen family in the past farm, but it's probably not fully appreciated just how difficult successful farming is, yes. and it's it's a natural instinct, and I can talk in the context of being on a Jewish radio station. I mean, very much many of the Jewish immigrants that came here before and around the Second World War came with nothing. They started on a very low basis, and ultimately, many many became very successful farmers. I mean, really successful farmers. But their children went to schools in the cities, and their whole upbringing was designed towards them achieving skills that could be most most appropriately exercised in the cities. So, in that sense, it's really a a, a worldwide a, a human phenomenon. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I can definitely hear that. Um, I just think because of what you said earlier, that this is not the 1940s or 50s anymore. The world is incredibly different and how you gain value and move up the economic ladder is quite different. I mean, technology is influencing farming as well. And I think there's there's a whole drive towards mechanizing farming as well, as is happening in many industries. So I think if we say that, I think we're going to run into problems because, as you said earlier, the successful farmers are usually the ones who have a lot of scale. 
Mm, mm. Um, just to be able to compete with global supply chains. Mm. So I think, yes, I, I kind of understand that. But I think also I, it doesn't excuse the fact that you have readily available data if you are a minister or anybody else interested in this land uh, uh, situation, in this land debate. I think I understand the emotive side of it. Mm. But ultimately, you cannot design policy around your emotions or what your childhood or whatever you can't mm. really do that we have to design policy around uh a data rich perspective mm. of mm. research of things that make sense mm. so that people can be pulled out of poverty and can become productive mm. um yeah yeah um one of the things that uh, i would just like to ask you briefly about before we close is uh once you're in the cities is how not successful the word I want, but really how what sort of freedom people have if they with if they don't have skills but they're moving to the informal sector mm. um the extent to which they know how they can make it work is it hamstrung by government or is there the space to move i i think I think that's that's kind of a layered question because I think we can link it back to the whole land thing. The truth is is that actually. We have policy already on the books that can sort of sort some of these problems out. So, for example, with the informal settlements, the, the sort of technical term is that it's when informal settlements spring up, it's the slumification of cities. Mm. You can actually reverse some of that through policy. So mm. the government has something called UISP, which mm-hmm. is uh, the upgrading of informal settlements policy, mm-hmm. which is supposed to um, essentially create service stands in informal mm, settlements mm. for which people can build housing on. Now, the, the, it's, it's a bit of a bureaucratic kind of complex thing, and it's kind of very difficult to make sense of the funding mechanisms because it's government after all. But essentially, we do have something on the books mm, to sort of create livable environments for people and a base for which they can look for opportunity. But mm. usually yeah. in cities... The city government is cons- the city government is constrained by how much they can do for people that move into cities mm-hmm. because of what national government does and because we have a system that's very centralized. All the levers of power, the real levers of power in South Africa are national. So I think in that regard, people will have a hard time sort of accessing uh, like formal opportunities and formal jobs. They have to sort of go into the informal market to sort of try to eke out a living. Mm. And that is broadly more of an, a national government thing. So I, I think it is difficult, but there are ways in which you can help people towards a pathway where they can sort of build a life. The first one is normal cities can do with the UISP and the municipal equitable share with the funding scheme. But essentially in terms of the overall sort of macroeconomic view and people finding jobs, that has to be from the place of a national government simply because mm-hmm. of the system we're in and right. it's centralized. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately the, the government uh, isn't, uh, isn't being the government we need in that respect. Uh, Sindile, thank you very, very much for joining us. Uh, much appreciated. And I hope uh, to get you on again, because there's clearly, Lots for us to talk to you about and, and, and insights to get from you. 
So thank you very oh, much. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Thank Pleasure. you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you to the listeners as well for listening. Okay.